You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1284 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast and making us your first lesson each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Podbean, where you like to listen to podcasts. We should be there on the video side, on the audio side, etc. And today's show is a two-part deep dive with my friend and friend of the podcast, Tower Jones, a fan favorite to be sure. Everyone seems to love when Tyler comes on the podcast. It's been a little while, so we have plenty to discuss, and it's a pretty lengthy two-part episode to kind of carry over for the rest of the week and into the weekend. One thing that I want to do before we bring in Tyler, though, is talk about Kyle Korver, the big news of the week for the Atlanta Hawks. So Sham Saranian reported earlier this week that the Hawks were close to a deal with Korver to join the front office in some capacity. And then Laura Williams of the AJC confirmed that on Tuesday, I believe it was. And then the Hawks on Wednesday announced the hire of Kyle Korver as the director of player affairs and development for the franchise. Landry Fields, the Hawks GM and number two in command on the basketball side, gave a quote, and it was as follows, quote, we are excited to bring Kyle back to the Hawks. He's a tremendous person and someone whose presence will benefit all of our players, both on and off the court. Drawing from his unique experiences over a 17-year playing career as a late second-round pick who later became an all-star in Atlanta and one of the league's all-time best shooters, end quote. Uh, Corver, of course, is familiar to those of us who have been covering or watching the Hawks for a long time, was with the Brooklyn Nets last season in a player development role, uh, sort of a non-bench, but certainly around the team kind of coaching staff kind of role. He's now 41 years old, retired after the 2019-20 season, uh, played almost 350 games with the Hawks over five years Second most games he ever played on any team, along with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, spent his best years with the Hawks. Of course, made an all-star appearance in 2015. He was on the best uh, the best regular season Hawks team in history. The 61 team, uh, well, I guess seven, seven or eight years ago at this point in time. Had a 64% true, true shooting mark with the Hawks. That's how good of a shooter Kyle Korver was, including 45.2% from three. I, Kyle, I covered Kyle up close and personal. He's one of the best shooters in the history of the league. And here's one crazy stat for you on this Wednesday into Thursday. Kyle Korver right now, today, is number five all-time in NBA history in three-pointers. Yes, number five all-time made threes, Kyle Korver. So, uh, obviously an elite shooter in his day, but even more than an elite shooter, honestly, was a very, very effective player. Unlocked the Hawks offense during that famous run, et cetera. I can go crazy about covering Kyle and all that stuff, all that stuff. but for now, uh, obviously a, a very, very good player for a long time and uh, an interesting uh, addition to the front office. Not a role that is too, too common in the current NBA, and a few of the national writers like John Hollinger and Seth Partner kind of referred to it as sort of a development czar kind of role or sort of a conduit between the front office and the coaching staff that a couple teams are kind of doing at this point in time. As part of the release, the Hawks said the following about Corver's role. They said he will be, quote, assisting in creating and overseeing a development plan for each Hawks player in partnership with the coaches, athletic performance team, and front office. So it's kind of a do-it-all kind of role between the front office and the coaching staff and the athletic trainers, etc. Notably, it says he will assist with those creations and overseeing. So not exactly res- responsible for it on his own, but has a real title that director of player affairs, de- player affairs development title is a pretty prominent role. So uh, interesting kind of uh, um, addition to the franchise that does not really exist before. He's not replacing anyone. This is a new creation for the Hawks. 
Also, the Hawks have kind of lost a lot of their Hawks University structure from the Budenhoser era. This is sort of an investment in development on that front. Famously, Nate said last year that the Hawks were not really in development mode anymore. I think they got kind of blown out of proportion a little bit because obviously they're still trying to develop the young guys. But one thing the Hawks were known for during the Budenhoser era was kind of taking these guys that weren't rookies, weren't second-year players, and really developing them either with their shooting or skill development. Like Dwayne Devin was a famous example of this. Um, a bunch of a bunch of the wings that they brought in during that time. Tabari Carroll was a huge, a huge example. Kent Bazemore, another one of those guys. Those guys got paid big money off the Hawks, who kind of came in as like almost minimum guys and kind of tra- sort of transformed from there. So um, sort of maybe a, re- a return to that. But still, uh, it's not a coaching staff that has been terribly focused on the future in the recent past. So having Corver around as someone who's close to the roster, close to the coaching staff and the front office, uh, explicitly doing that makes some sense to me. I also don't want to go crazy and overstating the impact of this move. I saw some Hawks fans like just deciding that Corver is going to change everything on his own. Uh, and I will say this, if it was not a recognizable former Hawks player in this role, I think fans would not necessarily be caring that much about this. But at the same time, um, I don't think he's going to be able to like overnight transform AJ Griffin or make Trey Young, Steph Curry off the ball, anything like that stuff. But I do think that it's a really good idea and a really good hire. Um, that's kind of my overall takeaway. You, you never want to be um, you know, too judgmental of this kind of stuff because frankly, as close as I am to the proceedings, even on the outside, I'm still on the outside. Um, fans even further so, obviously. So I try not to lend my voice too much in a critical mass where I don't necessarily understand all this stuff. And I will always say there's stuff that coaching staffs deal with um, that for office deal with that I'll never know. But I do think that on the whole, bringing Kyle Korver to a prominent role is uh, a good idea in my in my mind. I think he's definitely a guy that people seem to love around the league. Uh, I would say even when he was with the Hawks, he was beloved in that locker room. I covered his entire tenure with the Hawks as a player. He was always the kind of the go-to guy for really candid and frank and like real insight on the team. A lot of guys will give you good quotes. Korver will like actually like give you genuine insight on basketball stuff, non-basketball stuff, all that fun stuff. So. His interpersonal skills, he seems to be really liked and he's a good speaker, all that stuff sort of communication-wise, someone that you would want to have around your team as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a good hire, obviously, what we know right now. And also, as the release kind of noted from the Hawks side, Corver was not someone who was just like a natural talent that was like a top 10 pick. He was a late second-round pick that carved out a 15-ish year kind of career in the NBA, became an all-star, had to sort of scratch and claw, obviously had the elite trait with his shooting, but he became a solid defender. He became a really good ball mover as a passer, et cetera. So uh, very sort of varied skill set, varied uh, in terms of like what he saw around the NBA, different teams, different franchises. So I think this is a really good hire if the Hawks were going to do this. And I think that um, it's a good idea in general to have this kind of player development focus, um, not just, and by the way, I think development always gets put in this like rookie or sophomore thing. It's a, it's a team-wide thing. Um, you can sort of Un- unlock certain skills from guys who are in their 20s or even you know, heading into their upper 20s, etc. So I like the move. I don't want to go crazy about it. It's not going to like ch- transform the franchise necessarily on 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 the uh, on itself right now. But um, Kyle Korver's back with the Hawks franchise, and that's sort of the headline event here as we head into the dark days of the offseason as we're here on July 20th as I record this. So I say all that. Most of today's podcast, in fact, the rest of today's podcast, and this, again, a two-part episode, will be myself and Tyler Jones talking about DeAndre Hunter as a pivot point this season, talking about John Collins returning to the franchise, talking about uh, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, both the, the addition of Murray on, on the whole and also him playing with Trey, the loss of Kevin Herter, Justin Holiday, etc. Lots of different topics. Tyler and I could get talking for a long time, so there's no shortage of content on this episode, uh, this two-part episode, I should say, and then I'm sure we'll have Tyler back in the near future. He's definitely a fan favorite. In fact, I said this in a minute when I actually talked to him, but 
um, generally speaking, he's the person that uh, Hawks fans seem to request the most for some background. Tyler is a Hawks fan. He's a very plugged in and informed Hawks fan, but he's really the only person that I have on the podcast with any regularity that's not a writer, not a media member, uh, not a player, coach, obviously beyond that stuff. But Tyler is the sort of the voice of the Hawks fan on this podcast. If you've never heard him on the show, hopefully you will enjoy the conversation. We always have fun talking about basketball together. So with all that said, please subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. YouTube is also a great place to find the show on the video side. Please follow the show on Twitter and all that fun stuff. But uh, after a quick break to hear from our sponsors, we'll be back with Tyler Jones and uh, a fun conversation. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online and Summer League, of course, is now over in Las Vegas. The draft is behind us. Most of the agency is done as well, and all eyes are on the future across the NBA world. With that in mind, Bet Online is the place to be to fire away on the futures market and also the number one place in the sports world for all of your betting needs and information, both in the near future and always. Find all the latest odds, news, and developments across the sports world. That includes baseball odds, of course, that's happening again right now for the All Star break. Major events that are going on, the latest scores, the latest fights, even next season's futures on the NBA, college basketball, college football, the NFL, NHL, etc. Bet online is a continued source for all the wagering avenues that you'd like as well. And that includes live betting and esports, poker, and even a ton of casino games as well. And really beyond that, they have all the sports that you want. They have hockey, they have golf, they have tennis, auto racing, rugby, the more obscure stuff like, like, like lacrosse and table tennis. They also have horse racing and cricket, entertainment bets, any sport you can possibly think of, they have it at Bet Online. Head there right now on your computer mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world. Bet Online, where the game starts. I am joined now for some in a while. I try not to bug this person too often, but uh, I will say this as I always do on the show. I get more requests for this person to come on the podcast than anyone. And uh, my guest today and for I think what's going to be a two part episode is my friend Tyler Jones. Hello, sir. How are you? How how, how the Braves looking? We looking good, aren't we? <laughs> and we're off. Uh, yes, the Braves uh, finished the first half of the season. This is my serious answer to your not serious question. 33 and 11. Last 44. Cooking right now. Wait, 33 and 11. Didn't the, didn't the Hawks finish 30 and... 30 and 10, famously. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That was, those were better times for the Hawks fans, but uh, it should be a little bit better now. But no, I wanted to <laughs> want to get my Braves out there. You know, we had five All-Stars. Probably should have had six or seven, but... Cobb County's finest. Danny Swanson, All-Star. <sighs> He's about to get paid. The big bucks, happy for him. Um... <laughs> He's not going to be taking a hometown discount. I, I have no sources on that. I haven't talked to him in a while, but I can, I, I can almost guarantee, if he's coming back to Atlanta, they're going to have to pay as much as any other team. So, this Listen, might if, be- you, if you hear anything in the uh, in the exclusive Cobb County group chat that you're able to get Swanson, let me know so I can report it. All right. Good. Uh, but obviously, uh, we could talk about Braves all day long. But uh, it's been a while since you know, I talked in this form. We always talk offline about everything. But uh, I realized when we were prepping, at least when I was prepping earlier today, that you and I have not discussed in public any of what the Hawks did in the offseason. Now, I know that seems like a while ago now because they've been pretty quiet for like two weeks. But uh, in order, they made draft picks. They did not trade John Collins, which I know pleases you as the number one John Collins fan. Um, they also traded a lot for DeJounte Murray. They sent out Kevin Herter. Um, they played an entire summer league run without their first Rest round pick. Peace, Kevin Herter, man. Yeah, we're going to do all this. I just I realized that we don't talk about any of this stuff. So, he sent uh, that to Kings. That's <laughs> uh, are you going to be a Kings fan now? I thought, I thought you were only, only going to follow John Collins around, not necessarily <laughs> Kevin Herter. I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm going to follow her. Like, man, how can you not follow Kevin Herter and root for him? I love Kevin Herter. Like game seven on the road. 
to yeah. make it to the conference finals. Like he's a good dude too. Like by, I mean, by all accounts, obviously we don't, we don't know these guys ever. I always say that, but uh, in my interactions with him, I greatly enjoyed my time with Kevin Herter. So there you go. And then um, they, they hired Kyle Korver after. They did. Kevin Herter. That's just. I I talked to I talked about Kyle Korver before I brought you in on this on this podcast. But uh, do you have a take on Kyle Korver before we move on? Is that, did that please you as a as a longtime Hawks fan to see Kyle back in the organization? Um. I mean, he's what is he? Player development. From yes, it's an interesting role. It's definitely yeah. sort of a. I think it's gonna be. It's one of those. Um, from what I can gather today, and people around the league, it's a role that's becoming more popular. It's kind of like this. It's a kind of a hybrid role between coaching staff and front office. Like he's in the front office, but it's player development in a way that is kind of a coaching style role. So it's an interesting kind of hybrid former player role, but it's a real job. Like he's got a real job. This is not, it's not one of those yeah, like no, no. front office roles. It's a real and job. I, and I mean, what I imagine what the role is, is going to be similar to what the Hawks did with Budenholzer with their player development where they Hawks university, baby. Yeah. Hawks you, they try to bring <laughs> some of that back. I, I, I'm not even sure that ever left really, but they, it's just been different because they're developing rookies and sophomores uh, recently instead of, you know, getting vets to, kind of change their games in certain ways to yep. make the team better. So it, it, it'll be interesting, you know, just, you know, he's one of the greatest shooters of all time and like an unbelievable worker. Like I can't, I, I'd have to imagine he's got nothing but good things to say uh, to these young guys to help them, you know, get better in certain areas. Uh, just even beyond just shooting the basketball. Cause like, I know that's what he Corver was known for, but I mean, he, he really changed like Corver, like to me as a fan of the Hawks, he changed how I perceived basketball probably more than any other player. Hmm. Because like before, before, you know, before you're just a fan of the team, you're just watching on the ball, right? You just like if you're casual or even even if you're above casual, like even if you know numbers, you're not really paying attention to what's happening off the ball. Kept Kyle Corver to understand how great he was and like and like I, I felt two things about him. One, he was the most. He probably was the most important player on the, those Hawks runs, even though he wasn't the best. He probably was the most valuable. And I really wish he got to play with Budenholzer maybe even ten years earlier in his career because he might. I think. I think if he would have played under Mike Budenholzer, uh, who valued what he did off the ball, the way he moved off the ball, the way he manipulated defenses, the way. He, the way he just kept moving, that generated driving lanes for Jeff Teague and opened up the floor for Al Horford and Paul Millsap to do their things, and Demari Carroll as well. Like, that's something like I, Steph does it too, but, you know, Steph plays in the West Coast. And, like, I'm, you know, I, <laughs> Steph, and Steph wasn't Steph back, like, during this period. Like, he was good. And, like, it was, it was like he and Corver were kind of on the, they, they kind of implemented at the same time this idea that you can be a dominant basketball player, truly dominant, off the ball. Now, Kyle Korver just never had to handle Steph Curry. But, I, like, just the the attention Korver brought uh, that he, uh, that he you know, generated just because you couldn't give that man an open three-pointer. And, like, he was going to work for it. Like, it wasn't going to give into him. And he couldn't dribble, but he was going to run off every screen multiple times in a in a short amount of time span just to get an open look. And he was also a lot better defensively than he ever got credit for as well. Agreed. 
So it's it like I said, it's good to have him. Um, really wish he he and Herder got to talk just to you know, <laughs> just so yeah. to, to get Herder to see the game more than just being on the ball. Because I I do think, and I hopefully you know in Sacramento, like I, I think he'll he'll be able to actually become a better basketball player than he ever could in Atlanta just because he'll have more responsibility. It's just natural. He's just going to have more responsibility. They'll be more invested in his success. He has less competition for minutes. And I think he's really going to shine, but I really wish he kind of, you know, he got the, you know, just because Herder, like he kind of pushes back on the shooter label and I get it, but Herder's not the, the caliber of shooter that Kyle Korver or even like JJ Reck was coming off the ball, like coming off a screen and hard, like just like the type of athleticism and skill it takes to uh, master that skill. Herter wasn't even close to getting there. And I kind of hoped, I kind of really wished that I felt like that would be his next evolution as a player, just so that if he, if he could add the off ball shooting to his dribble package that he already has in his passing like he could have been a, and i still think he can be a, a a real player in this league but um nothing but the best for a herder and like it, at the end of the day like getting corver it, it can be nothing but a good thing like he's he's a great guy to be like i'm pretty sure he's a great guy to talk and be around yeah, I obviously we don't spend too much time on on Corver. It's just one of those things that obviously that was uh, noteworthy news this week. And I want to overstate it, but certainly a a valuable uh, addition to what's going on. I do want to start kind of broad, and we'll kind of of course do what we do and take some detours and things. But uh, I'm going to ask this question very open ended. How are you feeling about the Hawks right now, as resident ombudsman slash Hawks fan on this podcast? Uh, What's the temperature like uh, over there in terms of your in terms of the Hawks here? On we're recording this on July twentieth. How are we feeling, Brad? Is, <laughs> I want to be rah rah guy and be like, oh yeah, we're we're back, we're back. Eastern Conference Finals, you know, is like that or bust, right, or all that good stuff. But I I don't know. I'm not sure they got that much better than what they were going to be if they kept the team together. I don't know if you disagree with me or not on this point. It just feels like, and this is not to say they didn't, like, this isn't to say they didn't improve the roster because they did and they got better in certain areas, but they also lost a lot of shooting. Yep. And they, and this starting, this supposed starting lineup, I think it can work. I think it'll work. Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. Like, I think that could be a very dynamic uh, one-two punch uh, to start games. But it's really going to require both of them to be a lot better off the ball, something they have not shown in either of their careers yet. And so it's just tough to be like – and also you lost Herter. And I and I know people be like, man, Herter wasn't that good. I, I push back on all that. Herter did so much that like his secondary passing really opened up the floor. It it's really the juice for the Hawks offense in a ways that DeAndre Hunter just hasn't done from the wing position. Um, and now we're, we're in a position like to me, you got better, you got better in certain areas. Like you got a guy who can take the ball out of Trey Young's hand legitimately and have Trey Young off the ball. And you improved your defense. I think this should 
they should be aiming for a top 10 defense. If they're not top 10, or if they're not if they're not if they're not in the range of a top 10 defense, I'll put it that because the year they don't have to exactly be top 10 to be top 10. It's there's I'm I'm a again, I'm a accountant and <laughs> statistics every day. So I understand like meet median outcomes, but they need to be in the median of a top 10 defense, like they were two years ago when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think they have they have the talent now, including the guys coming off the bench and the guys they lost, addition by subtraction on the defensive end. They should be better defensively, but it's going to be tough. The NBA's tough, man. Like um, yep. the one thing I'll say uh, that 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 something I didn't account for um, last year until like middle of the season, teams aren't tanking anymore. Like no. a lot of team teams are okay hunting for that tenth seed. There are no easy outs. And the Eastern Conference was tough last year. Tennessee won four. Tennessee won what? Forty three games. Forty three games last year. Yep. Forty three games. That. I mean, we. You know, me, you, Brad. We've grown up with the Eastern Conference. Well, that was under the six seed. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was a six seed. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Tennessee, the, the, the Knicks. Everybody oh. climbed the Knicks. All how bad they were. All this. Then they win like thirty nine games or something like they. Yeah, the Knicks were respected. I mean, here's here's a point of comparison. So the year before, the Hawks and Knicks famously tied for the four seed. The Hawks were the five seed technically in that in that playoff uh, in that playoff round. Those teams had about a fifty seven percent winning percentage that year, and they were tied for the four seed in the East two years ago. Last year, the six seed was fifty six percent. So like that that would have been the six seed, but. Basically, that would only been two games ahead of the nine seed, yeah, last year, and that was the four seed the previous year. So, like, you could argue. I think that's not even like a hot take that the East was better last year because it definitely was. But even the teams that you didn't think were, honestly, I didn't think they were that great. Like teams like Cleveland, teams like Charlotte, who I thought were like not great. Those were. 500 plus teams last year. And that doesn't even include the Knicks who you mentioned. And the Wizards didn't have Beal for half the season and they won 35 games. Like that wasn't a terrible basketball team. They were okay. Um, there were three, there were three bad teams in the East last year out of 15. Three. And there were really only five teams in the whole league that were bad last year. Like Portland became bad at the end because they wanted to be, but there were there were really five teams last year that were bad. It was the Pacers, and even then they were trying early in the season. Pacers but Pacers. Yeah, Pacers, Pistons, Magic, Thunder, and Rockets were the only teams that were like genuinely bad last season, for the most part. And even then, you could, I, I would personally probably cross the Pacers off for the first like three months. They were when they were still when they still had Sabonis, and they were actually kind of trying. You could say they were only four bad teams in the league. And you know the Hawks aren't that far away from being one of those teams. For, you know, three or four years ago, they were one of those bad teams. But there aren't that many this year too. Like that's one of the things. Like big picture league wise, I think every team in the league, Sands, maybe Houston is trying now maybe the thunder are, st- are still not trying but they're getting close to turning the corner to start trying again um indiana's gonna try this year it seems like uh you know, chet homer is gonna win them a lot of games i i, I know when i know there's a hawks podcast and we're supposed to be exclusively okay. talking about the hawks but no, like, we're good you know me the chet Holmgren discussion and the takes were so funny <laughs> to me because it's like at the end of the day, the dude's a good passer. He has a good handle, and he's a good shooter. And he might already be one of the better rim protectors in the NBA today. 
And like but I know, but he's skinny, Tyler. He's skinny. I, he's I mean, skinny. yeah, it's like, oh, Kenny Lofton beasted him, but, but yeah, but did you see their their guards get to the paint? What, what were they doing? How many? Like, I watched. Ex, is his name Xavier Simpson? Uh, yes, it is, sir. For Go the Blues. Magic, correct? Yeah, I watched Simpson <laughs> multiple times. You know, he wants to get to that sky hook. He multiple loves it. times when they played each other, jump. Do a full 180 spin to pass the ball out because Chet was right there and he had no chance. Like, I'm like, it's rim protection has somehow gotten aggressively underrated amongst like just NBA intellectual. intellectual. I mean, everybody, everybody just loves switching defenses. There's a great example on the Hawks roster, by the way, a guy we talked about a lot, but I, for some reason, there are still people that think click a bell is not good at basketball. And it's like, you ever watch click a bell play defense, but it's (laughs) like rim protect. You want to win games in the, especially in the regular season, you get a rim protector. You've instantly turned your, your, you've instantly taken multiple options that other teams want to run. Like, flat out and so it's it's like i really think this the thunder might sneak up on some teams but you know that that's beside the point the larger point is this they're not going to be any easy outs in the, especially especially like there's just not going to be any easy games easy wins that you can bank like no. how the hawks did when they went on their run like that a lot of their run, run was fueled by playing lesser teams while also getting healthy at the same time for the hawks to be where they want to be they're going to have to be consistently good basketball team, which they can do. And they did it. They did it last year. They weirdly just struggled against teams under 500. It, it wasn't weirdly. I, I, we can talk about why that happened, but I don't really want to get into it anymore. No, but they were, they were like, to your point, they were, uh, you know, they were relatively okay against bad teams last year is that they struggled against the good teams. And you know, that is what it is. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's that's all that's all fair, and I think that in fact I've already heard it. I'm not going to talk about over unders just yet because Ben online is not coming out with theirs and all that stuff. But I can already hear, I've already seen and heard from Hawks fans that are uh, frustrated with the Hawks being projected as like the somewhere in the five to seven range in the East. And I, I just I, I'll just say this: that's where they're going to be projected. Uh, you can disagree with it. I, I understand that, but there is pretty much no scenario where you'll hear mainstream outlets project them to be in the top four of the East this year as currently constructed. Now, could they do that? Certainly they could. And we'll get into that as I'm sure over the next six weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it's going to be, but you're not going to see, you're not going to see people pick them ahead of the likes of Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami. They're just not going to be picked in that group. It's going to be, you'll see the Hawks groups with teams like Toronto. Uh, maybe Brooklyn's obviously a giant question at this point. I have no idea what's happening in Brooklyn. If KD is still there, then that's KD still there. Um, but like, you'll see them with Toronto and Cleveland and Chicago, like that, that that's going to be the group you're going to see for the Hawks most likely. Now, do they have outside beyond that? For sure they do, but I can already kind of see that building. Like, and I wonder if you feel the same way, like Hawks fans are like, wait, we, we had, we had this kind of big splashy move with Murray. Why are we not projected alongside Miami, Milwaukee, Boston now? And it's like, well, to your point earlier, they're better. Well, I, I said this earlier. They're they're better. Like the roster, this is the best roster. I said this before on this podcast. This is the best roster they have had in the Schlenk era. But they still have some questions on the roster. And like you said, the East is just better now than it was. The East is better, and I mean, is there a bigger question mark in the NBA than DeAndre Hunter? 
I knew I knew we were gonna get there. Uh, we, we could we could do this now if you'd like to, but I, I knew we were going that way. Trust me, I have said that a few times already on the show, and I know we're I know where you stand for the most part. We're gonna talk about that. Um, but yeah, I mean there, are, I think there are multiple. I want to be clear, there are different there are additional questions to DeAndre Hunter, but I think that, and I say this, I talk to people about this across the league in Las Vegas that are not Hawks based, and everyone that I have talked to agrees with this. Like Hunter is one of the bigger swing guys in the entire league this year because if he's really good the hawk ceiling raises so so high it's like uh similar to like what i was hearing about patrick williams and the bulls and they're actually very similar like prospects in that way like top five guys who kind of rose in, a weird, in a weird way not that similar no i'm, sa- I'm saying like ar- archetypally like oh, those guys were yeah. not supposed to be top five picks they're both six eight forwards that have not proven anything in the nba level for the most part i know hunter had the nice stretch two years ago for a third of the season but like it's an interesting thing because a lot of the Hawks roster, as much as they've made the big swing on Murray, is the same guys that they have had previously. They didn't because they only had to trade Gallo in the Murray trade. They didn't change their roster as much as a lot of teams have changed their rosters. But you throw in the Murray dynamic, which is of course going to change things, and Hunter is just a giant question mark. It's just what it is, and I, I've gotten some flack for being too negative on him, and I, I really don't think I am. I just I'm I'm being a practical realist about like he has not proven it. It doesn't mean he's not going to do it. And I know you're lower on him than I am, but it's like no one can deny. I posted his numbers this this week on Twitter when comparing him to Keldon Johnson, who got the extension. Like Keldon Johnson has been leaps and bounds better than DeAndre Hunter in their NBA in their NBA careers. I'm sorry, that's just true. Like that doesn't mean that Keldon Johnson's going to be better than DeAndre Hunter moving forward, but. Every number would tell you he's been he's been a better, a better basketball player, and it's, that's only a one-off comparison. Like Hunter's profile through three seasons is not that good. It's just not, which is a whole other thing. But it's just he's a uh, and they and I'm sure we'll get into this. He's got to be good because yeah, they have Justin Holiday, and I love Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday is a role is a pure three and D role guy, and he's their backup. He's the only guy on the roster that can kind of do what Hunter's supposed to do as a. If Justin Holiday is playing more than. 16 minutes a game something has gone wrong well i think he's going to at times this year well i, it, I think, I'm I think if everybody's healthy i'm sorry I yeah said no you're no you're right healthy. no you're right yeah. you know what i'm saying because like if you bogey's have bogey play. yeah i was gonna say if you have bogey at full strength bogey's Hunt, playing 30 yeah I, I agree i agree with you so i think during the course of the season and obviously well, there's time to litigate this later too during the course of the season they might take it easy on bogey some nights especially with the knee thing, et cetera. But I agree with you. Like, let's say if they if they started a playoff series today, which they're not doing, obviously, Justin Holiday would be, in theory, your fourth wing, the guy mm-hmm. that plays 15 minutes a night. And that, and then, by the way, he's actually really good in that role. That's a really good role for him, and he's a good player in that role. But if he has to be, to, 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 your, to our Hunter point here, if Hunter doesn't take a step forward and Hunter is just a guy – and there's like an actual question about who's a better basketball player between Holiday and Hunter. You're in the danger zone there because I, I like Holiday, but Hunter needs to be obviously so much better than him. Uh, and uh, you know, again, I, I, I don't say this to be piling on. He's not been that much better than Justin Holiday in the last couple of years. He's just not been. So it's like you're hoping for that leap. I think it might be coming, but he is one of the bigger pivot guys in the entire league. And I know I'm higher on him than you are, so I, I'm just kind of bracing people because I know you're not a believer necessarily. It's not. It's not even that, Brad. It's just like 
it's just going to be so hard for him in the NBA to be con- a consistent, good basketball player if all he's bringing to the table is point of attack defense and shot making. Like that's a that's a tough combination because man, even the best defenders get beat regularly off the dribble. Like it's just it it just happens. So yeah. but the best defenders that does happen to them, but they compensate by being good in other by being good in help defense by getting steals by getting deflections by getting blocks by getting rebounds but getting more importantly getting contested rebounds on both ends of the floor not just on def- not not just getting defensive rebounds but like you know also you know making that additional pass that will free somebody up being a good passer um no, we we've done the hundred thing uh, you and I have on this on this show. I know I talk about with, with Glenn a lot too, but like just 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 to back you up, I think the big frustration for people that are dialed in watching every single night of the Hawks last year and looking at the numbers, et cetera, is not it's not the stuff that you might think it would be with Hunter. Like, his Hunter shot well from three last year? He's still a good defensive player for the most part, but the fact that he just he basically gave you absolutely nothing as a rebounder or a passer last year. And like that's a really tough ask. So to, to to your point that you were just making, a guy, yes, every team in the league wants a six eight four that can play defense. And I'm not saying otherwise. Even in his current form, if he was healthy all season long, he'd be a useful player. But it's really tough to be, especially when you're playing some minutes at the four, which he's probably going to again, uh, to play a, that combo forward role and just never rebound and be one of the worst passers at the three in the entire league last year. Like he had a six percent assist rate last year. Like that, that's, that's comically bad for a guy who had the ball. And he's not a zero. He's not, a, he's not a pure three and D guy either. Like he had 20% uses last year. That's the thing about there. There are some guys that play that super small catch and shoot. We'll call it the Tony Snell role. Like, yeah, those guys don't have high assist rates, but Hunter has the ball in his hands, like a decent amount, like for him to have the ball in his hands as much as he did and just never generate assists and never get rebounds. That's the part that drives me crazy. I think it might drive you crazy too, but that's the part that will, that will definitely baffle me from last year. It's not the shot making. He can, he can make shots. He can defend. No one's saying otherwise. Yes. And and it's not me. It's not me. It's not me being like, he's not good at that, but I'm, I'm just saying there's a level above just being like, yes, he can make a tough shots and he can make good shots. He can get in the mid range. He can create for himself a bit, not as much, not he hasn't shown like elite levels, but he's he's fine at it. He can get his own shot in the mid range for sure. But that's, the issue weird. is the issue. The problem is he for him to be a productive offensive player and just productive player in general, he has to be featured as if he's a star wing, where we're giving him the ball and we're clearing out and we're running sets for him and he's getting his isos, he's getting his touches, and he's just not. He has not shown even in his even in his best stretch, he has not shown the real ability to score over good defenders, like just like in one on ones or even when he has a matchup advantage against a good defender. It, it it's just like to me, I'm like he's a he's a role player, but to get the maximum value out of him. You kind of have to give him that 20% usage. But then at the same time, you're not getting 
like levels of production in other areas of the game, like in assists. Like you're just getting nothing from assists. So no, I mean this is this is obviously just pure numbers, which is not what I mean to do. But just just for pure numbers last year to back you up, like he had essentially a little bit below average for the league in true shooting percentage last year. Even with again, he made 38% of his threes. That's above average. But his two-point shooting cratered last year to the point where he was still below average in shooting efficiency. True shooting percentage, he was below average. And had a comically low assist rate and no off-through-bunding no off at all. So, like, by even just by that measure, before you factor in anything else, that is a below-average offensive player. Like, if you, if you, if you produce below-average efficiency and you are way below average as a passer and way below average as, a, as an offensive rebounder, you are not a good offensive player in that moment, in that season. And that's where he was last year. Even even shooting 38% from three, which I don't, I'm not convinced that he's a even true that, talent 38% three-point shooter. Yeah. He, might, he might be. I'm not saying he's not. But like he might be more of a 36% guy, which is actually his career average. I don't know that to be true, but I'm saying it wasn't like it was a, like, like he had flukishly bad three-point shooting. He actually shot well from three and still fell below all those thresholds. That's that's the scary part for me is that he did shoot well from three. And it didn't necessarily fix everything on offense. And I, again, I've said this a lot. I'm not saying he has to be the same guy he was last year. I just need everybody to realize and accept what I am saying and that he wasn't good last year. And that's it's okay to say it out loud. It doesn't mean that I'm hating on him or that I don't believe in him. I've always liked Hunter. People people, people are mad at me that I liked him in the draft. Like I I was high on him in the draft. I still think that the skill set that he can bring is super interesting. That is not the same thing as acknowledging what he was and was not last year. That's all. That's been my whole thing the entire time. And by the way, the year before, yeah, he was really good for 23 games. But like that means he's been good for 23 games in the last two seasons. That's not a very large sample size. His, his rookie season did happen, guys. Like he was bad as a rookie. We cannot, we cannot be like his rookie season doesn't count and last year doesn't count because he's coming back from this weird knee. That, that, and that's all. That's really all I and mean. It's like, like you cannot look at three seasons worth of data and say he is uh, definitely the guy he was for twenty games two years ago. He might be. That's actually a possible outcome. And look, if he's that guy, everyone should celebrate because he was really, really good for a quarter season two years ago. But you cannot take that sample out of three seasons and just decide that's what he is. And, and here's and my concern is I'm not sure he's going to be allowed to be that guy because DeJounte Murray's on this team now. Well, and yeah, the, 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 the other side of that would be that maybe not. But yeah, I think Murray's going to take up some usage, that's for sure. Murray is taking usage from somebody. And people from are uh, from <laughs> weirdly like it's like people think it's going to happen with Collins, but like it's not as if. No. It's not as if they run plays. Collins uses from his work ethic off the ball. He gets himself open. And it's I'm not coming from Collins last year. Collins' usage rate last year was a, was a four year low. Like it's not coming from his usage rate. Re Murray is going to come from obviously he's replacing Herder, and it's going to come from probably a little bit of Trey. I think Trey's usage rate will be a little bit lower, just a little bit. He's still going to have star level usage, but he's going to be you know the last couple of seasons. I'm looking, I'm looking now just to make sure I'm not crazy. Yeah. Uh, Trey, the last three years, has a 34.5% usage rate. That'll be a little lower, I think, with Murray. I hope so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but to your point that you were getting to, like, it's not going to be – it's going to be – obviously, Gallo is not there anymore. That's some usage that's going to go away, probably to Murray. But logically speaking, you would think that maybe Hunter has a usage rate decline because 
everybody else is kind of what they are. I mean, Bogey's going to play less, I think, now because of the knee and because of the fact that Murray's going to start and all that stuff. But, like, the whole point of Bogey is that he's going to come in and shoot the ball. Hunter might just and, become more of a more of a pure three and knee guy. I don't know if that's going to happen, then, but that might happen. If, if Hunter become – and so this is my concern. Like, Hunter might very well be a much better basketball player next year. I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to really – put his stamp on things the way he has in previous years because Murray's here. And when Bogey's in the game, Bogey's coming in to shoot. And, like, also, Bogey's offensive value is just more, like, he's just going to be more featured. And so here's my my concern is, like, if we're getting less of Hunter and he's not – he like, his defense, I don't know, man. Like, it's good – but it's not elite. That's that's right? a, that's, that's, the, that's a good way to put it. Yes, you know what? I, it's right not now, elite. it's good. It's good and not elite. Can we can we be like he's a better defender than uh, Mo Harkless and Justin Holiday? Yeah, he is. Maybe. Yeah, I but, so. but the thing, and also I will say this in Hunter's uh, purely on the perimeter though. But yeah, I was gonna say and, and to put Hunter. We talked about Murray earlier, and we'll get to him in a minute as well, just overall. But I do think that having Murray defensively is going to help Hunter as well because Murray is going to take some of those assignments that Hunter's had to take in previous years of like of lead guards, where Hunter was like the guy they put on lead guards a lot, um, and that'll be Murray now, which which might allow Hunter to be a little bit more settled and just like kind of just being the big wing defender because that's what he was built to be. I mean, all the irresponsible Kawhi comparison stuff from his rookie season and all that stuff. But like now he can just be that guy. He can go out and guard the best wing sized guy on the other team and have Murray guard the best guard size guy. On but the other here's team. my, here's my concern because th- th- that stretch of two years ago, Deandre Hunter was that lead defender who we yeah. put on anybody that's what and it he is. was really good at it yeah like he was really good at it last year not so much he was fine but he wasn't he wasn't as good as he was before the knee injury and i was gonna say that that's that's the health thing too that's all but this is the issue brad it's like if he's not that guy on defense anymore even if he's good do they want to pay him well, and that's yeah. There's a whole different discussion about the extension, and I say this all the time. Like, I I am not a fan of giving out market value extensions to non-max players, and that's where I would draw the line on her. If they can get a great discount, I do understand that. Because look at look, for everything we've already said, if Hunter has a great season in year four, he's going to make a hundred million dollars because he's a six-eight forward who has top five pedigree and he can play defense. And if he has a great again, if he if he has a breakout season, he might get four hundred from somebody, and it could be the Hawks. But if he doesn't have a breakout season, and you've just paid him four for eighty, let's say the Kelton Johnson contract, that isn't going to look good because now you have a guy who has been mediocre for four seasons, who is not even young, by the way. Like by draft pick standards, Hunter is already twenty four; he'll be twenty five in December. That's not old. But you're paying – this is his prime – this is his one prime contract. You're paying him for ages 26 to 29. Like, that's that's generally a guy's prime. So, yeah. like, 
it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I can see all sides. And the thing, yeah. I can see him having the breakout season as much as we've just said a lot of things. Like the guy is in his talent is in there to where no one should be surprised, and this includes me, if he was to, if he was to go out there and post a season where like, okay, he's definitely a top, you know, 80 player in the league a year from now. That shouldn't surprise anyone. If he goes out and has like one of those seasons where he plays 73 games and the counting stats are just okay, like he averages 15 points a game or whatever, but he plays good defense, he rebounds better, he improves, he's, he improves his efficiency, he stays healthy. If that happens for one season, you know how this is going to go. People are going to, people already do that don't watch the Hawks because he's a, top, a former top five pick. You heard it in the playoffs. People are like, oh, DeAndre Hunter was, was great this season. Like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't great this season at all. But every team in the league wants, a six eight two way forward with some ball skills, and he is. That's what he is. So if he if he puts it together, like it's going to look awesome. That's the thing. It's so tantalizing about because, and that's honestly that's part of the pro, I, maybe not problem is the wrong word, but because we we all saw it for six weeks, we know it's in there. <laughs> it's like that happened, and fans know it's there. And I don't blame anybody for being excited because look, if he was if he could just bottle that guy from the first six weeks of two years ago and do that for 70 games, he'd be a near max player. That's how, that's what those guys get paid. Yeah, it's just I, – I think my fear is if he has a shooting slump, I can see Nate benching him for – Holiday. Rogan or Holiday. <laughs> like just, just getting benched. Like – like there is pressure. There is pressure. There's a lot of pressure. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of pressure, pressure on DeAndre Hunter and the Hawks this year do actually have options um, to move, including just playing Murray at the three. Well, that there's that too, but there's, this is the first time I'll say, I, I didn't think about this until right now, honestly, this is the first time in the winning team era of the Hawks in the last couple seasons where they've actually had a credible replacement for him as a small forward. Like they've obviously played the herder bogey lineup a lot, which has success. And we talked about it a lot, that, that, that group has actually worked a ton. But that, that group is obviously an offense-leaning group because those guys playing together plus Trey, you know, we all know the deal on that. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they've had a veteran role player forward that I, that has, by the way, has played for Nate before. Like, I, if Hunter struggles for 20 games, I'm not saying they're going to bench him for Justin Holiday, but I could totally see Justin Holiday playing more and more if Hunter's not playing well. Because this is the again, this is the first time Nate's actually had a guy he could go to that was better than Tony Snell, better than Solomon Hill, and, and obviously it was it was Cam who was he was another young guy before that. Like Justin Holiday is a ready-made plug-and-play role player, and that could be enticing if the guy in front of you is not great, especially if, especially when you're Nate. And by the way, you probably have some pressure for your job if you're not winning this year, and you just default to veterans anyway. Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen because it probably won't. I, I still, I think the Hunter, honestly, if he is healthy, is going to play a ton. Because and, and that's what I, he I agree. I think, I think he's going to play a ton. But, but look, I know we're probably not going to be talking about AJ Griffin too much on this podcast. Uh, we'll probably discuss it later. But we'll come back to it. Yeah. I mean, if Griffin plays, he's going to make open three point shots at a rate that. That's probably all he's going to do as a rookie, to be honest. But, like, Brad, Brad, we both know how valuable that is on the floor. Like, you want to impact winning as a young player, make open three-pointers. Force teams have to defend you 
open up cutting lanes, open up uh, driving lanes for Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Griffin's very talented. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Johnson's going to be fighting his way for minutes. The, my my thing with DeAndre is he has to produce. Like, there's no, there's no, we're going to take the baby steps. If he's not playing well, somebody's just going to take his spot. That's just the react. Like, that's just the, that's the situation the Hawks have. Hawks have put themselves in. That's the situation DeAndre Hunter put themselves in because, like, we can love the talent all we want, but the on-court production just has not been there. He was – I'll just it's, leave it. – No, it's, 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 like, it's, unque- it's unquestionably – to put we, we can put a cap on it, but, like, it, this is unquestionably – he has a ton of pressure individually, both for his contractual future – all that stuff. To, it's a prove it season for him um, to stay healthy, which, you know, at, at bare minimum, we're all rooting for him to be healthy for every possible reason. But like even last year, he acknowledged he was not his same self physically at times. And he played 53 games. He's missed a lot of time in the last two years. And like, I, I hope for his sake that he's healthy. Um, I also just, again, he is, he is very clearly their pivot point. I think that there's stuff to be discussed about how Trey and Jante fit together there's stuff to be discussed about how Bogey um, fares, fares with the knee. We'll see how Jalen Johnson fares with his with his potentially bigger role. There's the Capella. There's, there's stuff all over, all over the roster. But, like, if there's one guy to circle as, for me anyway, the difference between this team being a legitimate threat to win a series in the playoffs next year versus a team that could be in the play-in again, it's Hunter. Like, he's the guy. He's the pivot guy. Obviously, Trey's the best player, all that stuff. But Hunter is the guy that can that can give them a ton of ceiling, or he can really cap their ceiling if he's not great. All right, that's it for part one of two with Tower Jones. If you missed it earlier, part two is already in your feeds right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, etc. Click on over and go ahead and listen to that podcast in sequential order. I definitely recommend that. Please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Part two is available for you, and we'll see you next time.